This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Early on the morning of January 17, 1991, a massive U.S.-led air offensive attacked Iraqi defenses with what at the time amounted to the most technologically advanced air weaponry the world had ever known. New military technologies such as stealth bombers, cruise missiles, smart bombs, and more laid waste to the Iraqi defenses. Ten days later, it was the silver anniversary of the Super Bowl, played in the middle of a timeline of what was known as Operation Desert Storm. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off the DeLorean, the date is January 27th, 1991, and we're in Tampa, Florida. We're at Tampa Stadium. And although the weather is pretty nice this time of year compared to the state of New York, the weather is not why we're here. We're here to witness Super Bowl 25 between the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants, two teams from New York. A game that meant so much to the nation at the time, just 10 days after Operation Desert Storm was initiated. Security was at its highest to that point. But let's flash forward to 2011. This week's guest released his first NFL history book, covering this game and the details around the game in depth, probably like anybody ever before. This week's guest is Adam Lazarus. Adam is a four-time author, writing his first book about the 1973 U.S. Open. Then he jumped to his passion for the NFL. His second book revolved around Super Bowl XXV, as stated. Then he took on the challenge of rivalry between Steve Young and Joe Montana, rounding it out with the story of the Joe Gibbs-led Washington Redskins, currently the Washington football team. You can find all of these books and more on Adam in the show notes, which, by the way, you can get to the show notes for your podcast player, or the best way to get all access is by heading to the website, which is sportshistorynetwork.com, which is the headquarters for your favorite sports yesteryear. And speaking of the website, you might want to pause this button a little bit real quick and head over there to the contest page because Adam is offered to autograph and send one lucky winner a copy of his most recent book, Hail to the Redskins. You can enter the drawing by going to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash contest. But for now, let's get into the interview to talk about some stories that I'd say it's probably safe to say that you probably never heard of with Adam Lazarus. Splice it in. And one of the first things I kind of wanted to ask you about is the first book, The New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills and Super Bowl 25. I mean, why did you go with the title Super Bowl Monday? Um, <clears throat> well, the... The, the book is about the Giants-Bills Super Bowl and those two teams, but one of the things that was special about that Super Bowl was the that it was being played during a war that America had just entered, I think, 11 days earlier, the Persian Gulf War, the pers- first Persian Gulf War. Um, and, you know, I think even as much as Scott Norwood's field goal miss, people remember Whitney Houston singing the national anthem. It was a very patriotic kind of moment. Um, and... While I was doing research for the book, I, I realized that 
a lot of the American soldiers watching the game because, you know, they're always looking for things that are sense of normalcy during times of war and times of uncertainty. And they wanted to make sure that the military wanted to make sure as many people who wanted to watch the game could. And for most of the people watching the game, it was uh, in the Persian Gulf. So it was it was Monday. It was eight hours ahead or six hours ahead or whatever. Um, And I thought that was an interesting uh, little take on it. All these soldiers watching in, in in tents and things like that. And on, on battleships, um, at two, three in the morning, whatever it was. Um, I just thought that was sort of a neat little idea, uh, for a title. And, um, I, I just went with it. Yeah. I mean, like you said, so many people, probably the first time really that major broadcast over there like that. Um, why did you specifically write the book. What chose? Why, why that for a first NFL book? Following up your your first book re- revolving around golf. Well, football is my you know number one passion and hobby and interest. Uh, so I wanted to do a football book. Uh, but and this this was 10, 12 years ago when I started working on that book. Um, and since then we've had just countless great Super Bowls. But my whole childhood and and growing up and into you know my more formative years of high school and college and things like that the you could say that super bowl 25 was the greatest super bowl hands down ever played uh it was the most you know the, the only one by one point and all the great performances and the hall of famers that were in it and the famous coaches um and then the dramatic ending uh you know we hadn't had many super bowls ending in the last 10 20 seconds like we do we have recently um so i wanted to see if there was you know a way to structure a whole book around one game and uh it it was it worked because there was so much to it and so much to the characters and so much to the way the game was played and then you throw in what i mentioned earlier about um the patriotism and the war going on uh it was a it was a jam-packed super bowl event so that's one of the reasons why i went with that yeah, in my lifetime speaking of patriotism kind of correlating with football and and that kind of thing the first really major event I remembered was when 9-11 occurred and how much the nation rallied around the, of course, not the first week, but the following week in the football games that came on. Um, going back in time, we have World War II. We have the, the other events in history. Why, why do you think that that's a thing, patriotism, American football, and the kind of correlation there? Uh, I think part of it is, like I sort of mentioned earlier, is that you're going to always cling to those institutions during on times of uncertainty. and for millions of Americans, Sunday's football, uh, you know, the Super Bowl is something you don't miss. It's when you get together and pre COVID, when you have a big party at your house and watch the game. Uh, so I think that was one of the reasons, um, you know, it was a chance for people to grab onto something that they knew. And, uh, you know, I, I, the other thing is I remember, um, I don't know if this has ever happened before in the NFL. It's happened since, and I'm pretty sure it happened during nine, after 9-11. But I remember watching those games, and then when I went back and did research for the book and watched the, you know clips from the games and was fortunate to get uh, video from NFL films, they had American flag decals on the back of the helmet. Um, and I think they – I don't remember if they're doing it now. I know they did it around the time of 9-11, but I don't think they had ever done that before. I remember that being a big deal. And um, I think that's something that, you know, it gave Americans a chance to, you know, be patriotic and, and still be reminded of what was going on at the time. Yeah, I wouldn't know if that was the first time either. But I mean, like you said, it makes sense with you have that 
institution to hold on to and it's something that there's always something on Sunday and then it's almost a release and escape something like that to be able to go to as a team as a group um, speaking of a group uh, maybe the opposite almost the next book that you had the book of rivals or the best of rivals uh, Steve Young of Montana why why'd you write that book next um you know I I liked I, I loved doing the uh, the the Super Bowl Monday book because it gave me a chance to um, explore a lot of famous people, Parcells and Belichick, Lawrence Taylor and Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith, uh, two fam- famous owners, um, franchises. Uh, but I kind of wanted to zero in more on this one, on the next one. And um, it's hard to do just a biography on one person. And I was thinking to myself, other ways to do sort of a dual biography. And this was that uh, I I got a chance to sort of profile both of them and their interactions and their paths, you know, their crossing of their paths and how it shaped their careers and their lives and the franchises they were on. Um, And so that, you know, I I always, I grew up, Joe Montana was every bit what Tom Brady is today. He was the standard for, for the NFL and for quarterback play. And I remember, uh, I remember when he sort of lost the job because injury and young came along and all the discussion that went along with that. And I remember thinking, you know, it's just so unusual to have these two hall of famers intersect. Uh, and you know, you have Montana in place and you have young on the bench for several years, you know, that would never happen today. Uh, you know, we've seen what Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre looked like, but it was nothing like that. It was, it was much different. Um, and it was just a story of two two guys that were completely different and yet had the same goals and had the same, in some ways, the same level of success. And I always liked the idea of the competition and whether or not Montana made Young better and Young made Montana better. Um, and that was something I, I, I always sort of had in the back of my mind when I thought about those two. I wanted to kind of explore that. And the more and more I did uh, digging into their lives, especially their early lives. Um, it just made for like a fascinating dual portrait sketch. And, uh, you know, the result is five Super Bowls. So kind of a natural, <laughs> right. kind of a natural way to, to, to grab people's attention is that the 49ers from 1981 to 1994 are, you know, before the Patriots came along, it, it was probably the most successful run, long-term run in NFL history. Yeah, and also, like you said, to go through multiple quarterbacks like that to have that same success. And I grew up really only during the Steve Young era. I mean, Montana was over at the Chiefs and and beyond that. Uh, so I didn't really understand the dynamic of how long Young was there with Montana and how that rivalry happened. And I've seen that you interviewed many of the different players and coaches. Did any interview or moment stick out in your mind when you interviewed these guys? Uh, well, obviously Montana and Young was critical talking to them and Jerry Rice had a lot of things to say. Uh, I think probably the best interview, the the most intense, you know, from a, from a research standpoint was I got to interview Carmen policy, who was team president at the time. And he had what was sort of essential to telling that story properly, which was the behind the scenes uh, front office kind of insight into what happened, especially with getting young from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers while Montana is only 30 years old. 
Um, and then the back and forth about whether or not he was there to replace Montana or he was just there to take his take the reins from him. And then especially later on, it's sort of the climax of the book is when they is when the 49ers decide to actually trade Montana to the Chiefs. And the whole saga that went down with that was fascinating and a lot of things that i don't think anybody really knew i had no idea you know i I grew up around that time and i remember when montana was traded and there were stories that i got from carmen policy and people like you know close to carmen policy i did get to talk to eddie bartolo briefly um and who's the owner of the 49ers and that was the kind of stuff the stuff you didn't read necessarily in the newspapers or you know the stuff that didn't have to do with touchdowns and you know our throwing accuracy and 40 yard dash times, stuff like that. The, uh, the backroom dealing sort of was, was really fascinating. It's what made the book more than just a, a story about football. Yeah. It was a, a really a human interest story at, at the same time. Uh, how did you go about, uh, what was your style when you were interviewing these guys? Cause like you said, you're trying to draw out different types of stories. Uh, well, it's, <laughs> One of the things that I always try to do in interviews with impressive people uh, is tell them you, you want to show them that you know more than just like the Wikipedia entry. I think there's a lot of times um, I've tried to get in the good graces of interview subjects by telling them, you know, not not if for, for example, with Montana, I didn't just talk to him like, oh, I interviewed Jerry Rice and I interviewed Dwight Clark and I interviewed um, uh George Seifert, I went and interviewed a handful of his high school teammates um, and got to talk to them and, and probe them. I wanted to show a lot of those guys. I, I like to show that you've done the homework, not just, uh, you know, tell me about Super Bowl 23 and the, and the drive at the end of the game, which he's told us a thousand times, you know, um, same thing with, with my next book, which is on the Redskins dynasty of the eighties. Uh, Joe Gibbs is, I got a, I was very fortunate to do a very long interview with Joe Gibbs in person. And, um, I didn't want to just say, Oh, you know, tell me about Joe Theismann's broken leg or tell me how, about how crazy John Riggins was. Uh, cause there's, first of all, that's such an open-ended question. You're not going to get the answers you want. Second of all, they've talked and talked and talked about these stories for decades now. Um, but with Joe Gibbs, I, I found out that he did a he, he, he had to get a master's degree to, to be a graduate assistant when he was at San Diego State in the mid-60s. You know, this is way before he became an NFL head coach. Um, and I actually was able to go get his P- master's degree thesis, on which he had done on a particular kind of defense. Um, and I, I don't know how he got away with doing that, but because he was a graduate assistant football coach, I guess it was okay. Um, and I brought it to him and he, he just flipped and he hadn't seen it in 50 years. And, uh, I got him talking about that a little bit. And it's sort of, that's one of the things I always try to do when I'm doing interviews with people, especially the celebrity interviews, the big time interviews is, um, get them talking about things that they don't usually talk about. It sort of lets them know that you're there to do a real, like real deep dive into, into the story. How did you get a hold of that? I mean, it was it before the digital age? It was, it was not before the digital age, um, but I couldn't get it digitally. And I had read, I think I had read somewhere that they kept, they kept it in their, like in the San Diego state sports hall of fame somewhere, which I guess they have at San Diego state, which probably isn't in, you know, um, thousands of 
square feet. I don't know. Um, but I called around and I got someone there and they, they took it out of their archives and Xeroxed it for me. And okay. So they did send you a digital copy yeah. of that. Okay. That, that is, yeah, something that normally he probably never heard of for how you said the sixties is when he wrote that. I think it was 1964. I want to say 1964. Man, that's a really cool way to say breaking ice. For instance, I mean, yeah, did you exactly. have any mentors growing up that gave you tips or ideas or anything? Uh, like My this? first book, actually, I, w- I co-authored the U S open book. Um, I co-authored with a, a, you know, a PhD history professor at a major institution who, had been doing this kind of work, not quite this kind of work, more academic work for, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and when we did our first book together, I was a student of his. And then after I graduated, he wanted to write a book on this U.S. Open, and, and he asked me to do it with him. Um, and that's sort of how I learned the ropes of doing books like this. And that was something I learned from him was get the, like, unusual pieces of history and and show them, not necessarily get the actual document, but get the, the facts um, you know, we, it was a book on Arnold Palmer and Johnny Miller and Jack Nicholas and famous, famous people. And I think for that book, we did stuff similar like that. Um, I think we got some information on Johnny Miller playing in a tournament when he was like 11 and talked to him. And, and that was one of the things we wanted to talk to him about. Uh, same thing with Arnold Palmer. There was a tournament he played at in the late like 40s, I think it was. And we got some, we wanted to try to try to impress them with like I said, it's, it's not that you want them to be impressed with you. It's more that you want them to see that you're going to, A, you're going to be original with what you're asking. Like, I don't know, if, if you're interviewing um, Tom Brady, you don't want to just ask him about, oh, tell me about this Super Bowl. Because, uh, you know, they've talked about it thousands of times. There's millions of things out there that you can find and get that kind of material from. Um and I think that was that's one of the things I learned from from my mentors, Steve Schlossman, who I, I did my first book with, was um, you, you show them that you're doing something unique and original, and that's probably the best way to do it is to say, you know, don't tell me about the highlight of your the absolute highlight of your career, sports career. Tell me about the first big moment of your high school career or something like that. Speaking of that, are there any other unique? Um backstories that you brought to the table for any of your other interviews that come to mind? Um, I did love, and I mentioned Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs was a world-class racquetball player. Um, and he competed against some of like, I don't, I don't know anything about racquetball history, but I know that he played against like the greatest racquetball player in history. Um, in the 1970s, and I asked him about that. Um, that was that was another uh, just sort of, and I, and I got information on that guy and and tried to find. I think I interviewed him too, the the, the famous racquetball player who Joe, Joe Gibbs had played against. And um, you know, I wanted to know what Joe Gibbs, what was special for Joe Gibbs about racquetball. Did it teach him anything about coaching or anything like that? Um, there there were a lot of uh, the the Montana Young book. Um, I came across the, if you read the book, which I hope all your listeners will go out and buy it. Um, the first, the beginning of the book is a prologue about Montana and Young's first meeting, which, uh, I was very fortunate to come across in digital archives from a, I think it was a newspaper article that they had written around the time of one of the Super Bowls to go back and show 
you know, I guess somebody had asked Montana or Young, probably Young, because of the way the story is told. They probably asked him, you know, what was the first time you ever met Joe Montana? And someone wrote a small article about it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't 4,000 words. It was a small little puff piece kind of thing. Um, and Montana and, and Young was traded to the 49ers. He goes in, and this is in the spring. It's not like during the season. He goes into the um, locker room. They want him to do some working out. They want to, you know, Bill Walsh wants to see him throw passes and stuff in the spring. Um and he doesn't have any. He doesn't have any equipment for for playing for practicing. He doesn't have any workout clothes. He doesn't have any cleats or anything. And he tells the trainer, the equipment guy, you know, I don't have any clothes. I just got off a plane. And he said, they, they said, well, you're a, what size are you? And it was I think eleven or twelve. And they're like, well, Joe's the same size. Just go in his locker and take some of Joe's cleats. And he was really uneasy about doing that, but he needed shoes to to play. And you know, those were the right shoes for being a quarterback, I guess. And there's this, there's just this interaction, you know, he, he takes Montana's shoes without asking because Montana's not there. Um, and he has a practice, he comes back, he's, he's getting undressed and Montana walks in the locker room and, uh, he, they did, he's, Oh, I'm Joe Montana. I'm Steve Young. They'd never met before. And then he's like, Young's like, Oh, phew. He didn't notice. I took my shoe. It took his shoes. And he walks away and Montana turns to him and he's walking around. He says, and Steve, just put the shoes back in my locker when you're done. <laughs> and uh, I love that story. It's one of my favorite stories from any of the books I've written. And I, you know, I asked them both about it and I asked, uh, I tried to, tr- I think I tried to track down the equipment manager. I think he had, he must've died. I wasn't able to get in touch with him. Um, but stories like that are what, you know, maybe they're not what sells books and what people say, oh, I want to read that. That sounds interesting. But if you know the characters and you've known, you you sort of, in some cases like me, you've grown up with these people. Like I've grown up, I grew up watching Joe Montana. I grew up watching Steve Young. To hear that kind of story is neat because, you know, um, I've seen all the, the, the catch and I've seen Montana's uh, touchdown to John Taylor in the Super Bowl. And I've seen Young's touchdown run against the Vikings and the, the performance in Super Bowl 29. Like, I know those things and and my readers know those things. And if you can spend two or three pages explaining something they don't know, it really draws them in to tell them more about the things they do know. So you kind of got to find a balance about um, bringing new stuff to the readers, but bringing familiar stuff to the reader too. Yeah. I mean, that's a story that, yeah, we all know the catch. We know the drive and things like that, but that type of story right there, everybody at an office job even kind of relate to, you know, I'm the new guy and I just stole this new guy's pen or pad or whatever, something small. And the guy just says, Hey, put it back. But there may be that rivalry. Uh, Speaking of, you know, anything we can relate to, is there a, I don't know if you want to call it a dream book or a dream story that you want to write that someday you think you will? I'll, I'll say that I'm, I've always wanted to do, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So it's, uh, you know, I, in, in journalism, definitely in print journalism, but not, I don't think as much in, in this kind of journalism, nonfiction book kind of work, you know, you kind of want to hide the fact that you're a fan or at least you were a fan, but it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's sort of disingenuous because no one grows up watching the NFL their whole life gets into sports writing by not being a fan of some team or something. So I grew up passionate Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and I'll admit I still am today. Uh, and I've always wanted to do uh, a book on 
their rivalry with the Ravens and, and what that's produced and what it's looked like over the last, now it's almost 20 years, which is insane in my opinion, because, uh, you know, there's always rivalries in the NFL and, and, you know, playoff rivalries or even Super Bowl rivalries. Um, and they last for whatever period of time they last. I remember, you know, back when Colin Kaepernick was quarterback, the Seahawks and the 49ers was like the big rivalry. Uh, but it's not today. But Steelers Ravens games are always, always like something circled by the networks and people, big fans around for TV, uh, you know, for viewing on TV as a big game. And I remember I did a little research because I was thinking of doing a book on it a couple years ago. And um, there was the record was like the Steelers had won 16 and the Ravens had won 15. And the, the average margin of victory was like three points. And um, it's just it's 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 every bit to me what like the Red Sox Yankees is or uh uh, I don't really know hockey that well, but um, uh, <laughs> me either. <laughs> even like Celtics, Lakers, you know, because it had that championship mentality to it. You know, the Steelers won. The Steelers won two Super Bowls. The Ravens won two Super Bowls, and I think beating each other up made them stronger. And um, it's just, I, I think it's 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 been the best rivalry in football for twenty years. I think, uh, and I think there's there's story to that, and there's people to that. There's it's, it would be a lot like the the Giants Bills book I did because it would be, you know, you could do so much on Roethlisberger, you could do so much on on John Harbaugh and Tomlin and Bill Cower and uh, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Troy Polamalu. There's there's just big big superstars in that, and I I just love everything about those rivalries. You know, they they talk about how bloody they are and how how intense they are, and uh, uh, I think that's the kind of story that football fans like. I mean, we again, we can all relate to different rivalries with our own teams, maybe not to that level. Like you said, it doesn't matter how poor of a record each one of the teams have. They're always close games, and they're always, like you said, bloody beat them up type of games. Uh, now, let's flip the script. You said that, yeah, you don't maybe write like a fan because you want to write for the masses like that. But let's do a different thing. I'm going to give you the digital uh, keys to my DeLorean. Uh, you can go back in time any point in one of your three books and relive one of the moments that maybe the guys told you the story about where you're going. Uh, do I have access to more than just being on the sidelines? Oh, yes. You are going to be able to relive, be okay. part of it, almost like a quantum leap thing. It, we'll go that route this time. Uh, I would want to be like the right guard in the huddle when Montana took the 49ers down the field in Super Bowl 23 against the Bengals. Um, you know, I'm not sure if, if you or your listeners know the story about that Super Bowl before. It's kind of a, kind of a famous story. Uh, you know, they're, I think the 49ers are down, they're down 16-13, Super Bowl 23. Um, they sh- it's a game they should be winning considerably, by the way. You know, they, they were a much better team than the Bengals were. Um and there's about two and a half minutes left. The 49ers get the ball back on their own eight-yard line. Uh, and Montana tells this story that there was a long TV timeout between before the drive started. You know, the Super Bowl timeouts, they're much longer because of the TV, because of commercials. And they're just sitting there waiting in the huddle for the to get started. They have the play called and everything. <clears throat> and um, Harris Barton, who was a tackle for the 49ers, great tackle, uh, was apparently a really intense guy and, and is in the huddle, like charged up and like, yeah, let's go get him. Let's go get the touchdown. I'm going to kill this, this defensive end. Um, 
and Montana was known for being the coolest customer there was. And uh, Montana said, uh, Harris Barton tells this story, and I asked Montana about it too. He says that um, Harris Barton was all jazzed up before the drive, and Montana said to him, Harris, he called him H, he guess he called him H. He said, hey, H, um, look over there. And he looked, and between like two other players, he could see in the stands, in the back of the stands at the um, at Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami, he, John Candy was in the stands and he said, look, that's John Candy. And Harris Barton said, is like, what is he talking about? We're about to go on like this game winning historic drive, win a Super Bowl hanging in the balance. And he's talking about John Candy. And, uh, and then Harris Barton says, the next thing I knew I turned around and we were in the middle of this drive. And, um, I love that part of the story because Montana was just so cool and so calm. And he said, Montana said, you know, I like to, I saw how intense and, you know, maybe nervous Harris Barton was. I wanted to sort of calm him down. Um, but I, that tells you everything you need to know about Montana. It's probably, you know, it's funny because the catch is probably the play he's most known for, but I think that drive is probably the pinnacle of his career. You know, two, two minutes left, down by a whole touchdown, not a field goal. They didn't have to get a field goal to win the game, like like all of Brady's touchdowns, really. Um, and I just love that story about Montana. And I would have wanted to have seen Montana in that moment. I would have wanted to have seen Harris Barton. Um, and I would have wanted to have been a part just, just to see that drive because it was, you know, it's one of the greatest sequences in Super Bowl history. Yeah, that definitely would be a moment that would be cool to be in the huddle for me, too. Um, with that, any last words of wisdom for the fans of the show or where you'd like them to go to? Uh, I would say go to my website, uh, www.alazarus.com. There's all my books there. There's a, there's some clips from some interviews. Um, there's uh, links to the books um, and seeing what other people have said about them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just like – if you're an NFL history fan, they'll teach you things you don't know. They'll show you things you do know, maybe give you a new perspective on things you do know. Um, and I, I think they're, you know, they're good reads. They're, they're fun and they're uh, informative and they're not, if you're not just interested in first downs and, you know, pulling guards and things like that, there's stuff about the men in the stories and the people who made the story and what special, um, why they were the way they were, I think is, is a lot of the thing that I tried to explore with these books. How about those unique stories? Joe Gibbs plays against the top racquetball player, and Adam took his thesis paper as an icebreaker. Steve Young borrows Joe Namath's shoes. I mean, man, I'm glad I brought Adam on the show. And to think, I just wanted to hear about his three but different books. But we get so much more. And I know the same will happen to you when you get a chance to dive even further into these books. Again, I have links to all of these books over on the website. You can even sign up to win your very own autographed copy of Hail to the Redskins. You can get there by heading to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash contest. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.